for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Another awesome episode with the crew is coming your way. I'm loving these discussions among John, Luke, and Tex because questions from our listeners provoke something that is rarely heard on Power Athlete Radio, and that is direction. When asked to provide pointed answers, the crew does not disappoint. Questions from Power Athlete Nation include, what is the best advice we've ever received? What are our thoughts on kids dropping out of high school to train CrossFit full-time? And who do we seek for mentorship? These are just a sample of the inquiries that lead the crew down what I would consider a more introspective road than usual. Don't worry though, somehow the guys have managed to use a number of movie references to illustrate how beloved training partner and resident anorexic Nate Austin is apparently gearing up for bikini season 2017. This is episode 164. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? Power Athlete Radio time again. If you haven't succumbed to the reality of this, it's time to submit. You are listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. It's the podcast of the future. It's like dipping dots for your ears. Have you ever heard that? Dippin' Dots ice cream in the future? Uh, I know what the Dippin' Dots are. I didn't know they were the ice cream in the future, though. That's what I've been told. No, they were 15 years ago. Now they're just ice cream. Oh, the ice cream of the present. One of my I NFL, never saw that coming. One of my NFL buddies we used to drive the Dippin' Dot truck around in the offseason. He had a Dippin' Dot. Uh, <laughs> it was like deal where he would like take it to, to parties. And he, used to, he had a van. He would drive the Dippin' Dots. That was his offseason job. That, not a bad one? No, he crushed it. Did, you're dealing with technologically advanced ice cream. So, uh, for if you can't pick up, this is Luke, uh, Luke Summers, Tex McQuilkin, and John Wellborn are sitting at Power Athlete HQ, um, and turning into Twinkle Time, the evening. We figure we're going to bang out a, a podcast here. John and Tex are on their way to Spain first thing tomorrow for a CrossFit football seminar. Going to be hanging out with No No. Tex is going to be running with the Bulls. Oh yeah, are you? Are, yeah. are you going? Are you stay extra? I told him he should change his flight for one day and do it. What do I got to lose? The I mean, problem is, is uh, it's a four-hour. Uh, you got to get there four hours, and then you would have to get there four hours and then get back. I think it's kind of dicey. But, I mean, it's not like you got a wife and kids or anything, so fucking go for it. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to lose. Well, technically, that's not true. <laughs> I, I'm so close to the ground, and I've ridden one bowl, so I understand You're that. really not that fast. But I mean, I, you look good. Toe up, knee up, punch and hammer, drive. Everything looks good. It's just not enough. Well, this is the test of the training, John. I, I mean, I'm, I like it. I mean, I, I believe me. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm sure Sunday night I'll be like, fuck yeah, let's miss the flight. Let's think. And then I'll get out there and be like, let's just tackle this. <laughs> well, I think a detail you missed is Tex wrote a bull when he was like six years old. So now he's like, uh, like an avatar. He's plugged into the psyche of the bull. And he no, knows 20, how to. 24. And the bull that I wrote, it didn't even have a name. Just a number, which was, ironically, John, 76. Oh, was it? Oh, nice. So that was, a, that was kind of a, just an interesting thing when I was getting on. I was like, 76, 76. Riding the bull, feeling the energy, feeling yeah. the flow. But that was, quite honestly, the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. But any kind of moment, like eight-mile moment or anything that I approached before, I'll just say to myself, say no bull ride, and then just go and do the best that I can. Yeah. Pretty good. How, how big was this bowl that you wrote? Biggest one they had. Yeah, uh, it, it quite honestly was. So this was uh, this was Kerrville Rodeo. So anybody that's been to Criders, any West Texans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
And uh, I went to the rodeo, and the week before, uh, I got a little drunk. Lone Stars are only like two bucks there. And so it was, I'm going to go ride a bull. So I showed up one week later, uh, way before the rodeo started. It's like getting to a baseball game during batting practice. You can just do that to a rodeo. And so I just talked to a bunch of people and found my way up to the, the, the high stand. And he's like, all right. So he handed me a waiver and said 10 bucks. So I had 10 bucks cash. That's the only money I had on me that day. So it was like a perfect amount and signed my life away. I uh, called my father up, told him what I was doing. He was just like, just give me a call back. So uh, I told him I loved him even, and I didn't hear it back. So I just did my best there, but I didn't have any gear. So I had to walk around and approach a bunch of cowboys. And fortunately one guy who had two sons that were in the rodeo just took the lead for me. So he walked me around, introduced me to everybody. I got the chest plate. I got the, the spurs. I got the gloves and I got a rope. One thing I couldn't find was a helmet. So mm-hmm. I was the only kid in the rodeo. It was only like 16 to like 23-year-old dumbasses, mm-hmm. including myself. How old were you? 25. 23. 23. Oh, 23. It was post-college. Post I couldn't get a job. So it's like, what do you do? Yeah. You go to West Texas, be a cowhand, and then just apply all over the internet. And still did not you have a cowboy hat? I did have a cowboy hat, yeah. And the boots, uh, the boots that I still rock before I got the custom ones, they, uh, my first week, they're, That's uh, where you go. they rode the bull, yeah. So they're the bull riders. Um so I had to borrow all this gear, and then I thought it would be before the whole the whole party started. But then I was just waiting and waiting, and I was I was in queue. And finally, they had they gone through a bunch of events, and then they were like, "All right, McQuilkin, you're up." So I got up, and then the guys in front of me they were on contract, so they were professional bull riders, and they were just kind of getting reps. And then the kids behind me were like 16 years old, so I had these pros, and I wanted to like turn around, and take that look back and it's kids. So I'm like, Oh shit, there's a pros. And then that kid's 16. He's doing this. Don't be a pussy. And so I'm sitting there and then we're literally above, above the gate. And so you're just kind of in a marching line. The bulls are back behind you. So you can kind of see them just kind of getting pissed off. And finally my turn comes and I don't know what I'm doing at all. So the guys walk me through and he asked me, what are you doing? So there's, there's no, no real saddle on these things. And so what they do is they take that rope that they get you and the guy, he just loops it around the bull underneath and then whips it around the balls, balls of the bull. So that rope that they're holding onto is just fucking pulling the bull's balls off. And that's why they're so fucking pissed off. So finally they, they get the, oh, yeah, they get the, sounds uh, like a Friday night at the Packy house. <laughs> yeah. That's all we do. Yeah. She gets all, never mind. So, <laughs> So anyway, uh, he, he walks me through it. He's like, you know what you're doing? So the rope is set. There's no turning back. And I get in to the, the chute. And the thing is massive. So I can barely even, even fit my legs in there. So finally, I like slide into position, kind of find, find my hips, kind of find a good place. And get the, I went right hand. So I got the, got the rope, got my right hand. And we got like the pine tar on it so you can get a good grip, the, the sticky. Um, so I'm, I'm set in there. And he's like, all right, this is what I want you to do. You're going to give me a count to three, and on three, uh, you're going to say go, and you're going to dig your spurs into, into the bull. So I'm like, all right. So I'm visualizing this as I'm sitting on this fucking beast, and it's like, all right, one, two, three. When I said that to myself in visualization, I fucking dug my spurs into the bull, and I, he just started rattling back and forth, back and forth, and just banging my knees against this metal cage. And so at that moment, I'm like... <sighs> 
fucking, I have never hurt like this in my entire life. Let's fucking go. Three, two, one, go. And dug my spurs in again, fucking whipped out the gate. Then lasted just 1.5 seconds, kind of like one, two bucks and flew off. So I'm in the air. I hit the ground so hard that I bounce and land back on my feet. Toes forward. <laughs> Universal leg position, of course. Right. And so the bull just darts off, fortunately, away from me. And so I'm, I'm sitting here like, what the fuck just happened? It was just so fast. And I just walk off the, uh, the rodeo and uh, just kind of get a, a few stupid claps from my friends that were out there. Nobody else was interested in like me getting my ass kicked. Uh, and then I'm hanging out. Finally, had a, my buddy had a beer ready for me. And I watched the next guy go. So it's, it's some kid who basically the, the bull came out the chute and took an immediate left turn right into the cage. So this kid hit against the cage, flew off the bull, and then the bull took his horns, ripped his shirt, and you could see blood. And he like ripped the rib cage. And I'm just like, holy shit. I don't know what oh, happened. One bull away. One bull away. <laughs> the order was set. And I was some amateur in behind pros, behind kids that are 16 years old. Yeah, in front of kids that had done it before, though. They were actual, like, fucking cowboys. Luckily, he was wearing a helmet, but thank God, I just, I got the one got bull, 76, and wanted to get the fuck away from me. Yeah, that's good. So. Well, you got a rope around his nuts. I mean, who, you know. Yeah. So, just cross that off the list. It's uh, So, how hard could running with the bulls be? Easier. Right. I think it makes total sense. Yeah. Logic's not, it's yeah, perfect. I mean, uh, Jared Allen ran with the bulls, and I remember him telling me the story. They go in, and, and um, all of a sudden, you know, he's there. Everybody's having a great time, big party in the streets. And, you know, he's wearing the white outfit, the whole deal. All of a sudden, like, the sun comes up, and they're still having a good time. All of a sudden, they start ringing bells. And he said, everybody got deathly quiet. And then that's when he knew. And he said, as soon as he saw the bull, he, like, took off running. And he said he's never run so fast in his whole life. He, like, sprinted into the arena. And, um, oh, he did the final stretch? Because Nona was telling me there's five, I think, five legs of it. So you can do the opening leg or the middle legs or the final leg, which goes into the arena. Yeah. And uh, that's the one, I guess, the one into the arena is the most dangerous because if somebody does fucking fall at the gate, like, that's where people get piled up. Yeah. And the, all the fucking bulls just are pummeling at the same time. They see the opening, they see the gate, and they'll actually blow through a pile of fucking people and just, like, blow them up. So, I would do the fifth one. Yeah, the last one, naturally. Yeah. I mean, we survived Oktoberfest. Believe me, I'd rather run with the Bulls than go Oktoberfest with Bo Colombo (laughs) for three days. (laughs) You'd rather run with the Bulls than go to Bo Colombo Oktoberfest? You got to spend three days with Bo. You know, know, uh, know, the problem with a guy like Bo is there is no tomorrow. You remember like, when, uh, when, when Rocky's like, tomorrow, and like, Creed's like, there is no tomorrow. Yeah. Like, Bo Colombo, there is no tomorrow. That guy's been living for like, you know, like, uh, you know, they tell you to like, live like you're dying tomorrow, because literally Bo could die tomorrow. Fair enough. I, I think he's more of a Mickey, but that's just me. <laughs> you think he's like, come on, Tex. He's a, he's a great motivator. He's a great. <laughs> yeah, so, he'll get you to do some stupid stuff. But. So we got we we put out a little um, a little feeler for questions on Instagram, and I think that people are going to be in for a fucking show. And like, I think Jay Welly is going to be putting on a clinic today because oh. he's been on a rampage since he's picked me up uh, earlier this morning. So Jay Willie's fired up. He's got us all fired up. So that's why we fired this out. Well, see if we can get you where, fired up. Where all this stuff happened was we did a little social experiment on CrossFit football. 
yeah. that has been uh, enlightening to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing a little social experiment across the football because we're able to track how many hits the sites get, but based on the amount of comments we get, it's pretty low. You know, we're getting anywhere from like 30 to 15, 20, 14, mm-hmm. 10. I mean, pretty low comments. Back in the day, we used to get hundreds, hundreds. hundreds. And you know, it isn't like the amount of hits is going down. We're still pretty consistent over the years in terms of hits, mm-hmm. but just daily interaction, like what, like, so. Um, and you get a feel for like who your customer is, right? So yeah. as, as any service provider, if someone asks you like, who's your customer, you should be able to describe either a demographic, a psychographic or something. Yeah. And, and John's like, who are our people? Well, we used to know them on the Cross football site. Name. Yeah, like we used to know them. We used to know what the the energy they was. They were our friends. They were our, our you know, they, we used to come hang out with them. We used to go visit them. Across the football used to be this extremely tight knit organization. Mm-hmm. And since you know, uh, you know, when we decided to take a move towards more power athlete, more custom programming to effectively bring our our unit in closer and really start knowing our people in a more personal way, uh, across the football kind of just got put out there almost like a, a you know a social experiment. And so kind of looking at it, checking the comments, I'm like, God, these comments are so low and they're so unproportioned the amount of hits we're getting. I wonder how many people are actually following the program. So how do you know or how can you do a measurable way to find out who's following the program and not just scanning it, some bots, something just mining information and, you know, those hits. I mean, how many, how many of those are actual unique organic hits? <laughs> so we divide our coming to look for a workout. Yes, coming to look for a workout. And how many people are actually following this stuff? You know, because how many people just aren't just scoping it, you know, just coming to it. So we did a little social experiment where we set up a deal uh, for if you want to know the workout, you have to email us. And I didn't really think this way through. I just said, hey, send an email to info. And <laughs> Callie and I had an over-under of about 100 to 150 people. And oddly enough, we're at a few thousand yeah. emailed us, which totally shut down our Gmails, like yeah. wreak havoc on all of our email servers. And so we had to now collect them and, you know. Basically, we should have set it up like this beforehand, but mm-hmm. there wasn't much. Plus. Well, we we're well, pretty- we tried to include Luke, but it was Fourth of July weekend, and Luke doesn't work from the first to about the tenth. So that ten days around Fourth of July, first of June, yeah, yeah. to the tenth of August. August yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Luke is our tech support and our, you know, hey guys, there's a better way to do this. It was just off the reservation. Well, I, so he left but- it up to Callie and I, who just. What can we do? Info sounds like a great idea. Yeah, well, I was thinking 300 emails as well, you know, like yeah. a couple hundred, and, like, you know, we, that's not uncommon, so we, it's totally manageable. Well, but what's, it, what's the saying? Don't measure, just cut? No, <laughs> measure twice, cut once? No, I just think it's like pull and pray. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so so we, we get a few, you know, uh, thousands of emails to us requesting the program. Uh, I would say probably 50% of them were extremely complimentary. Like, thank you so much for the free programming. Uh, send me my workout. You know, thanks. Uh, you know, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, 25% were uh, zero emotion of like nothing but just the subject line with like what, want, like single word. I'm too cool to actually type anything or I'm so fucking busy. How dare you? I got one guy who was like not cool and I actually responded to him like, what's not cool? Well, I'm on the way to the gym and how dare you make me email for the workout, which I didn't even send him the workout. He can can fuck off. Um, And then we got a whole bunch of people that with a lot of butthurt. Uh, This is really inconsiderate. How dare you make me actually put some effort forward to get this workout. One guy accused us of just, you know, there's a better way to mine emails and actually weren't mining anything. We were just wanted to know who people were and we were looking for some social interaction. Uh, then we took the emails and we cross-referenced them to people that were not only in our power athlete, 
had bought something, seminars, you know, something that were in our database in some way. And what would you say the percentage of people? 15% maybe. 15%. So 15% of the people wanting a free workout, in my opinion, showed support and appreciation for the brand by, by investing in it through getting shirts, which aren't fucking retarded shirts. I mean, they're like, I think our shirts are pretty legit. Or fuck, get a sticker, get a fucking, I mean, we have all sorts of or, shit. Or come to a seminar or even submitted themselves to our newsletter, mm-hmm. you know, nothing. So effectively, uh, we have zero demographics and know nothing about mm-hmm. our cross football consumers. Other than they're freeloaders, which I get. I was a freeloader for a long time and uh, still on other services in. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just don't think, fuck, click a button. Hey, can I please have the email? Put Project Mayhem, which is kind of cool in the subject, would get me butthurt, you know? I don't know. But I don't know. Is it, um, you know, let me see. I'm not connected with, with the people who are, um, I think, on that site. You know, and I think that we are almost spoiled by some of the folks we work with on the side of Power Athlete. Right, that are we work with through Train Heroic via Grindstone or Field Strong or any of that stuff because even though some people might come in and be a little snarky to start, they finally get it. And then, dude, they know that they have access to world class coaches if they just drop a message in the feed. And you know, we will get to it if we're around. And like, you get a thanks, and they, they listen to the fucking podcast, they reference the podcast, and like, they're they're embedded in the community. So they're invested. So so really, what we were looking for, and really the idea that we started Power Athlete, and you know, the forms and the custom programming is we wanted to effectively pull in the people that we wanted to interact with. Mm-hmm. As you know, we couldn't really do this for CrossFit football. Uh, I was totally blown away by the amount of people that one emailed us for the workout, and I'm actually blown away uh, that that many people would be doing the workouts, requesting it, but yet feel no desire and nothing to actually posting on the forums or involving themselves in any way. Yeah, in the community, in the comments, right? Yeah. And is it because they're program hopping? I mean, or they, um, you know, they, uh, you know, they're just merely just give me my free fucking workout. I don't give a fuck where it comes from. Well, maybe, how about this? Maybe people who listen to this comment on the blog post on this, if you're following CrossFit football and you're not these guys, you know, because maybe we need to see a little positivity in CrossFit Football Nation. It's not not the positivity like pat on the butt. Hey, you're doing a great job. We don't respond to that. Like, hey, let's fucking go. We're here. We're fucking soldiers. We want to bang weights. You know, like our well, fucking people, our brand. Well, originally, when CrossFit Football was suggested to me, it was a seminar to support CrossFit. You know, sports specific. Um, you know, that SPP, that physical or specific physical preparation type of approach. And, you know, even though we got settled across in football, which might not have been the best of names, um, you know, we really were able to grow a community of really, you know, solid people. And, uh, you know, since then, you know, there's become so many other free programs. And, you know, when we first started, we were really the only kid on the block offering a legitimate strength conditioning program, mm-hmm. uh, not just, you know, more kind of mixed modal, you know, hey, I'm going to kind of cycle through strength, you know, all these other things. I mean, actually, a periodized strength template makes some short conditioning type workouts. So we kind of revolutionary in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the idea of starting it, uh, you know, was a seminar and then I put the website together and the programming to support the seminar and to tell people who we were. And oddly enough, uh, the website didn't really like bring people to the seminar the thought away. I, I thought people would do the programming, be so excited about it, want to do more, come to the seminar, whereas actually where we got to engage people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and over the years, I mean, every seminar we ask what, how many people have been to the CrossFit Football website? How many people have done the program for a day? 
a week, a month, a year. And I mean, it's less, I mean, 20, 20%. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 20%. I mean, that razor hand, I would say, first off, it's like, who's been to the website? That number is hilariously yeah. shrinking yeah. in the sense that it used to be one out of 20 would, yeah. would like, and even they'd raise their hand. And then you find out the next day, they've never been to the fucking website. You're like, just, ah, oh, I mean, there's always one. But now it's like, well, dude, now it's maybe like, fuck one out of four, one out of five. Yeah, I've never been to the website. Mm -hmm. And then how many people have followed the programming at least once? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it goes up. I mean, you know, six months a year. I mean, you go through and the numbers just dwindle down. And really the reason people come to the seminar is either word of mouth recommendation. Oh, my God, you have to go to this, this seminar. I learned so much. This is what I needed to learn to train sports teams. Mm -hmm. So I need to come to a CrossFit seminar that's going to prep me to be able to train teams. Or it looked interesting when I was looking at the seminar. But there, is, there has been an uptick of people that are following a, a Train Heroic program. Yeah. So whether it's Field Strong and they want to learn how to do the Spider-Mans, the Dead Bugs, and all the warm-up. Sprint, sprint protocol. Oh, shocker. The people willing to invest in programming are the ones who are willing to invest in information and education. Yeah, what's the people we're willing to invest in. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a, you know, a, a kind of an interesting deal that, um, you know, we put out a free program. And, you know, and then recently I got a, a guy emailed, you know, who was like, hey, I got to cut some finances off of Fieldstrong. And I'm just going to go back to, to uh, CrossFit football because it's a power athlete program, but it's free. Mm -hmm. And I remember I look at that and I'm like, Wow. Well, I mean, if you've known Fieldstrong for a year and you're totally cool to go back to something that across the football, either you don't understand the value or, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, we're still just trying to decide the fate. Um, you know, and I'm going to, I'll write a blog post and think a lot of, uh, meditate on this. I was actually, uh, a little disheartened with a lot of the responses that people gave us and, um, kind of the strange sense of entitlement, um, almost like free shit breeds entitlement. And, you know, not like, hey, guys, you know, thanks, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I don't mind kicking you an email or at least contacting or the fact that you're forcing me to interact when all everybody compare, you know, complains is, oh, the Internet's so impersonal. Mm -hmm. And now here's a situation where we're like, hey, you've been doing this program, email us, get the workout, interact, you know, and, and forcing people some form of interaction because obviously they're not doing it themselves. They're not commenting. There's no, you know, they're not joining the Facebook feed. I mean, there, we have so many point touch points. Mm -hmm. And. The fact that you know eighty-five percent of the people that emailed us are in have never been in a touch point with us was kind of a little disheartening, a little bit. But I mean, yeah. way yeah. different than the original deal. Yeah, and just reflecting on the original deal as we're talking about it, what the comment section of football represented to me was it was the leaderboard. So we'd look like like Max, we challenge each other. So a guy I'd never met before, but we're in the the same kind of number scheme in terms of times to workouts and all this good stuff and it was the opportunity to compete again to be like an actual athlete on a program where even though we're sitting not we're not sitting next to each other i'm still going to push because i don't want to lose that guy or that guy and it was also the opportunity to, to springboard questions to learn more about the the breadth of the program mm -hmm. so and that was one of the first like space monkey assignments was get on these questions. Let's see what you know. And it was a test. And then Kelly and I would then turn that into a competition of who could best represent the, the correct answer. Mm -hmm. Well, f that's why we're fired up here, people. So a lot of things going on. So text, why don't you, I know you've been jotting down. What do we got? What do you want to hit? You want to hit some quick hits first? You want to go deep? Uh, let's go ahead. Let's, let's throw Will Jones bone here since he's done a lot for us. Mm -hmm. 
Big monkey versus small monkeys. What are some of the indicators that help determine where athletes fall into this spectrum? How do you account for this in programming in a group fitness environment? Um, so let's give the narrative, the one minute narrative on the big monkey, small monkey. Uh, I feel like this is like the lactic bathing all over again. Um, (laughs) you know, the big monkey, small monkey theory was first presented to me by Dr. Romanoff, and it was based off an observation that some Russian sports scientists did of monkeys, that there were certain monkeys that only moved enough to be able to eat and subside, and there were other monkeys that played, battled, and fought. And so as a result, what they did is they put the one monkeys that only wanted to move just enough to eat and subside into a situation where they had to do a lot of movement, a lot of different things to get their food. And then they took the monkeys that were used to moving and playing and battling, and they locked them in cages for 23 hours a day. And then they observed them. And the the monkeys got locked in cages, ended up uh, beating each other to death, and the other ones actually uh, ended up just laying down and dying. And so based off of this study that they did, and I don't have any references for the study, so don't fucking email me and ask me to send it to you because I don't have it. It was, a, it was a story told to me by somebody, and there was no reference for it. Mm-hmm. So if I get an email, it's like, can you send me that study, which has happened over the years, we don't have it. And this has never been documented, but what happened was over the course of many, many years of uh, Dr. Romanoff training with you know athletes and working with different uh, Olympians, he noticed that certain athletes were able to handle more training volume than other athletes. And regardless of the training volume, it didn't, uh, training volume did not, uh, did not correlate with athletic performance in the sense of the guy who trained more did better. So there were, there were some athletes that trained three days a week and went on and won gold medals or other guys that trained 10 times a week, you mm-hmm. know, two days and three on Sunday. And those guys were able to go in and win gold medals. And the problem is, is when they tried to switch volumes and force the guy that did, you know, Hey, well, he's only trained three days a week. And he won a gold medal, so if he trains 10 times a week, then he will effectively set world records. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that guy would end up getting worse. And the guys who were, you know, just wanted to train three times a day, were ready to go, uh, those guys ended up uh, doing great. When they trained less, they didn't do as well. So, uh, you know, going back into my own Rolodex in my memory, um, I, you know, one of my, my roommate in college was a guy named Kevin Doherty. And uh, Doe was super strong dude, squatted, I think, in the sevens in high school, benched 420 in high school, was a big, strong dude coming in, a- 18 years old. Yeah, beast. Or maybe he squatted in the sixes. His, his training partner, Bruce, and I can't remember Bruce's last name, uh, he squatted like seven-something in a set of wraps. I mean, these dudes were so strong in high school. And I remember Doe came in, and every day we were at college, he almost got worse. By the end of college, he could barely bench 300 pounds and couldn't even squat five. And I remember being like, oh, what's wrong? He's like, I just feel so tired. I can never recover. And I asked him once, I'm like, well, what did you do in high school? He's like, we trained three days a week. He goes, they did a squat day on Monday. They did a bench day on Tuesday. And Friday was like a pull accessory day. And that's it. And they, they used to rotate max effort, reps, speed. So they do speed day, you know, like, and he, he laid out this program. It was kind of a West Side influence deal. They trained three days a week. And, dude, he was brutally strong and Bruce is brutally strong all of a sudden we get to college and you know and like you know football is something that will naturally select for the big monkey just for the amount of training that you have to do and Bruce ends up hurting his back and taking a medical and oh literally 
got weaker every single day. And I remember his comment to me was like, every day I go train, which was ironic seeing as that all of a sudden now all I got to do was train and I got better each workout. Mm -hmm. And pro football will naturally select at least an offensive line for the big monkey. And for me, I mean, with double days and training and training camp and all that shit, like as the more training went on, I got better. And there were other guys that like we went to training camp just could never handle the load. Mm -hmm. And so it's not better or worse to be a big monkey or small monkey. And I think like the name big monkey, small monkey, there's some connotation with like good and bad. And I'm like, it's, it's not, it, it's not good or bad. It's just what you as an individual need to maximize performance. Not a perfect world. I want to be a small monkey. Mm -hmm. I would love to train three days a week and make great games, but I know myself that I can't continue to progress unless I can put a solid train volume together. But yet, uh, other people can do really well. And I'm sure you guys have all had clients that have trained three days a week and we're making raising results. And then what do you do? You should come four days and then five days and six days and then they get hurt. Mm -hmm. And then what do they do? And then they quit and you think, man, they weren't tough enough. Instead, well, of, instead of being like, well, first off, hope you, hopefully you think about why they quit. Well, they probably don't. They just feel like, you know, cause the, the CrossFit mentality is if one is good, a hundred is more, mm -hmm. but they don't realize Well, the, I want to, I just want to stick up for it because it's the A CrossFit mentality. That's well, what it used to be. And it, people are getting smarter now, but it's still like it you have to become a more seasoned coach to understand this shit. And there's a lot of green coaches, well, so a lot of greenhorns exactly. that just hammer them with that. So. Well, well, it, it's because the hammer is the most readily available tool. Yeah. You know, put people in and just throw them in the meat grinder, you know, 20-minute workouts, hammer them. When, you know, I'm all about the proper dose for the, for the most, like, uh, uh, biggest – uh, rate of return. So like if I can get somebody to progress uh, progress and make gains off of three days a week, perfect. Mm -hmm. And the minute the three days a week, uh, you know, started and their progress slows and not doing as well. I'll talk to them and be like, Hey, do you want to come a fourth day? How are you feeling? Oh, I feel like I'm ready for it. Okay, good. How are you sleeping? How's the training? Good. I had a fourth day and you see how they're going. Should I come five? Oh, let's see a four dose. And so I was really, really, um, you know, slow on, on really moving people in because I, I did the same shit. I used to be like, man, you're making great gains. You should come every day. And then they fucking hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. And then I never see them again. And I lost them as clients. And, um, you know, like the, uh, you know, you can get a lot also on the big monkey, small monkey from talking to somebody about their background. So what did you do on your training? You know, what did you do growing up? Oh shit. You were a collegiate gymnast. Wow. You trained, you know, seven yeah. days a week for, for three hours. Good chance you're a big monkey. Uh, you know, like a lot of football players, especially, at, you know, foot, offensive, defense, linebacker, those type of positions are big monkeys, but yet there's a lot of quarterbacks and kickers and those guys that are small monkeys. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady and a lot of the tight end quarterbacks that I played with, there was a little dude whose job, he has like a uh, baseball counter and he knew Tom Brady got exactly 150 throws every practice and regardless of where they were, uh, he was not. And that's how many throws he had. So, you know, and there, but there are other guys, like I, I played with some dudes that threw a hundred times, but I also played with other guys that could throw 300 times in practice. So just to know what that, and we just had an article about this. So what you can look for as a coach is just like with a quarterback as an example, is the proficiency of movement is their ability to execute to the best of their abilities that you know, because you know, these athletes. So just as if Tom Brady and his coaches know, if he gets close to 200, his accuracy will start to dip and drown. Well, and his arm will get sore, and then he won't have the performance on the game base. So, I mean, they have enough matri uh, metrics of this guy <laughs> to know exactly how many, how much volume over a total week he can handle, and they know if they go over it, it'll, it'll adversely affect his performance on Sunday. But they know they have to keep the volume at a certain amount, and be sore. And, like, it's just but, – but that's understanding you as an athlete, and the problem becomes – 
you know, you have a guy like uh, Rich Roney, for example, who trains three times a day. Yeah, becomes and, an idol. And yeah, then, and, and, then, and then, you know, it's like we've had, like the kid we had at a seminar up in uh, Northern California. I mean, oh, he literally changed his whole wardrobe. He wanted, yeah, he, he was sitting there, and I literally thought he was Rich Roney because he had, like, the beard, he had the head on, had the necklace, was wearing all the clothes, and I'm like, looks like a small Rich Froning. I mean, the guy even made me call him Rich, which was odd. <laughs> and he's over there eating peanut butter, drinking all. I mean, like, literally, if Rich Froning told him that he eats fire, that dude would have had a lighter. Uh, and, like, I remember asking with him and being like, tell me about your travel. I just, you know, whatever Rich does. And I'm like, well, I mean, or, you know, the problem is you're not a, you know, Rich Froning. Like, what have you done? Like, how did you stumble across this? And so uh, the big monkey small thing is just observation. Like, yeah. and I, can, I, is somebody making gains with, with, the, with the proper dose? And you know what? Just hitting somebody with the proverbial fire hose all the time. I mean, uh, you know, like that's the easy thing to do, but understanding how you pluck people out and how you kind of get them. And I want to, I guess, make a closing point on this so we can get to some other questions because, um, you know, he talks about or asks about putting this in a group fitness environment. And what I'm getting, I guess, I, my, my experience is from the two gyms I've worked at commercially, right? I don't think that – the, the 20 to 30 minutes of work is really, how do I want to say this? For a new person, it's going to take a year or so for that to, to depending on how you're programming, let's say intelligently like we did at Balboa and with like the cross the football thing, it's going to take a couple of years for these people to, to get to what we would, gen, like our base level of strength concept where they become a, a trained athlete and they can actually perform at a level that's going to be detrimental. Um, especially if you're doing like the three week, three days a week, four days a week, five days a week. But I guess what I would have you do if people are starting to feel trashed is fucking, you know, there's two ways to do it. If people want to come in and get their five days, tell them just to sandbag it one day. Just because you show up. I remember when I used to show up and I'd feel like shit, I would just go slow. Well, I mean, the, um, you know, something we learned from doing that uh, Bulgarian power athlete, and I always remember the uh, quote Abba Jayup said, you're, you're never – not strong enough to just lift the bar. Exactly. And I remember when we came in and we did that program, I mean, I remember one day I came in and like, shit, 60 kilos felt like 600. And I remember I'm like, I'm just going to lift the bar today. And I remember uh, Nate was like, what the fuck? You know, like trying to talk shit. And I was like, hey, man, like uh, if I'm going to lift the bar, I'm just going to put a little mm -hmm. weight on like I need this day. And then I came back and had some monster days, whereas mm -hmm. Nate never, he just eccentrically loaded a lot of weight. <laughs> and basically, uh, uh, he actually, uh, what he did is he tested the triphasic, but it was solo phasic. Yeah, unknowingly. Unknowingly, well, solo phasic. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know, but there's a book called Triphasic I've been going through, which is pretty interesting where they talk about, you know, actually training different muscle contractions. Shocker. Something we figured out a long time ago, but in it, they, they talk about heavy eccentrics, which uh, are very potent for a certain population as long as you have a very competent athlete competent spotters and a safe environment to do it. And going back to our three P model, you know, uh, is it, a, you know, is it prudent? Is it practical? And is it purposeful? Yeah, it has a purpose, you know, but can you do it? Yeah. Should you do it? Well, not really. That depends. Yeah. On yeah athlete I mean, ability and like training today, age. Like today we, uh, we have a kid who's, uh, getting ready to go play at USC here in a couple of weeks. And we were squatting on the safety bar, on the safety bar pretty heavy for singles. And, uh, you know, his, his, you know, the set before his final looked okay. And he got underneath a, you know, four, you know, four, you know, I guess it'd be 420, 440, which is pretty heavy on a safety bar squat if you've never done it. And he gets underneath it all nonchalant. Like, and I'm looking at this kid. I'm like, hey, man, you need a squat? No, I got this. I'm like, fuck, this kid's, you know, if you never squat on a safety bar, squat bar, you got, you know, I, I don't, I, I mean, I've seen 600 pound squatters get fucking stapled with that mm -hmm. thing. And all of a sudden, I'm like watching this kid. And I like, dude, when that weight gets heavy on the safety squat bar, all of a sudden, like, 
everything in my mind goes super fine-tuned. I know exactly how I'm going down. And what does he do? He just casual. rides yellow radio. Like a real casual just fucking gets stapled on the thing. And he's a big guy. Like, there was no way to spot the safety bar from the rear. You can't do it, not on a big dude. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, get over here. And so the guys run over. We lift him up. And he was kind of a little bit embarrassed. But I'm like, hey, fucking first, pull your fucking head out of your ass. Mm-hmm. You know? But, like, <clears throat> that kind of global awareness of understanding, you know, like, what's good or bad, how should it all fit in, is, you know, is paramount. So... But uh, just to button this up for Will is don't change it. I mean, assuming you're programming how we've taught you to program, right? Which is we have our, our parameters in terms of time domains, movement patterns we should be hitting, planes of axes we should be hitting. You should have some sort of strength component. Have these fuckers ride it out. And, uh, you know, there's some auto-regulation. If you feel like shit, go slower, right? Um, if you're feeling it, get after it. And then find out who your people are. I just wouldn't sweat it too much because yeah. – you're, you're talking about general population fitness class. Now, if you push that into like a competitor who in three years wants to make it to the games, you're going to have to get jiggy with it. You have to measure. And well, you're that have to have- also, you know, if you think about, uh, um, you know, people love to talk about, uh, you know, conjugate method, but in terms of getting ready for CrossFit, uh, it's progressive overload. Yeah. You have to be able to, you know, almost, um, you know, the analogy becomes like, like the ability to handle hot coffee. So I'll take you back to a story where years ago I had to go to Columbus, Ohio to go hang out with Louis Simmons and I brought along a young, young bright eyed kid named Nate Austin. And, uh, we have to get up at like, you know, five in the morning so we can be at Bob Evans by six so we can be at Louis by eight. And so we get up at five, we go hit Starbucks and we get in, I send Lou, Nate in to get two Americanos. He, uh, gets in the car, hands me, what do I do? I pop the lid off and just start chugging the coffee. They kind of looks at me and is like, oh, pops a cop off, takes a sip. Susan hits it, spits everything out there, and burns his tongue. He can't figure out for the life of me how I can drink a hot coffee straight out. And I told him, I'm like, this ain't my first fucking cup of coffee. I've destroyed all of my uh, taste buds and all sensitivity into my mouth by drinking hot coffee because, you know what, I'm not going to wait for it to cool down. Fuck it, I'll just, you know, mm-hmm. progressive overload. And what did Nate do? He burned himself, and he's never drank coffee ever since. Well, not hot coffee. Not hot, well, not any coffee. So, I don't know, Tex, what do you got a bridge? You got a segue? I, I do. So, this guy's uh, he's overthinking it, and he doesn't know if he's a big or a small monkey, and it's a, a very psychology-driven question. So, you ready for this, John? I feel psychologically ready for two-a-days, but everything I've learned about recovery in terms of proper sleep, food intake, is it worth it? I love to train, but I don't want to do more harm than help to my progress by constantly hitting weights. Okay. So it, I guess, where's the question? He's just trying to find guidance in terms of two a days for training. Okay. Say so, Wait, so he's, I, I, did I hear? Was there a question in there? Yeah. So he's getting to the question. The question is: If he squats, if he lifts in the morning, should he do metcons in the evening? Would that be too much? don't know i don't know him right what are your numbers who are you what are you even training for what are you training for why who how yeah tell, tell me something give me something if you're listening to this which you're not because we're not live but uh well, like, let's just make a gross assumption and say that he his number he's been progressing with what he's been doing and there's not been some sort of stall why would you change it well here's my deal the only reason i ever cut things into double days was that if the volume of work got too much to where intensity dropped off. Like, people are all fucked up on this double days thing. Like, people are like, well, how, you know, why did you train twice a day? 
well because I knew that the volume was like the, the, the quality of work that I needed to do, I couldn't do over the course of time. Like if I trained in the morning, we ran and we did plyos and we did all that and that took, uh, you know, 45 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever it was. Okay, great. That was how my intensity did and then I needed to go rest and recover and then I would come back and I would bang weights and I knew I could train for another. Now, if all of a sudden you said to me, John, we're going to train for the next five hours, what all of a sudden does that intensity look like? Like when we were sitting there with Dr. Tom, all of a sudden, like for the first three hours, then you're like, dude, you fell off. I'm like, yeah, my intensity is great. And then all of a sudden I get to the point where I hit it. I got to go home and rest and recover. Sure. So, I mean, like I think like people are really looking for this magical understanding of when they should go to double days. I'm like, if the volume of work that you're asked to do in a single day you cannot keep intensity at a level at which your, the training becomes meaningful, purposeful, and uh, you know, and, and paying the dividends you need. Then what's the problem here? Right. And like, and then you well, split it up. And double days isn't like, it's you know, isn't like smoking cigarettes. It doesn't make you cooler. You well, know what no, I mean? It's like, but, but it's like this badge of honor. And I'm also like, no, it's, it's well, well, no, 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 no. It's well, not though. People yeah. think it is. Well, they think I'm doing double days. What? Mm-hmm. For what? Elite. I mean, uh, uh, like you know, uh. uh a lot of bodybuilders do double days because... But think of these guys, like, think of the life cycle. And what, what you, what we do a bad job of doing is we have a base, like, when we talk about a population, we don't explain it. Like, the guys that are doing double days need to do double days because they're at the point where they have to do double days. If this guy is asking days. if he needs to do double days, he yeah. doesn't... If you, if you got to ask big man, you can't afford Exactly. It. Well, the, the and it's, and what, just to be clear, guys, on what that, what I mean by that is there's a training volume accrued over a period of time far beyond what this gentleman or lady or whoever has uh, gathered and probably isn't doesn't need it doesn't need to do it right well so so the other reason we did double days is that when we go to training camp we had double days exactly so we trained twice a day we were in two padded practices so in essence what i did was i was mimicking the effects of of training camp so we would do run plyo sprint Mm -hmm. all of our change of direction position specific stuff in the morning and then we'd come, we'd go home, rest and recover, eat, and then I'd go back and I would train and bang weights and do everything I needed to do in the evening. But that was almost prepping me because I figured out that if I did one workout in the off season, all of a sudden I got the double days and I wasn't ready to handle the load. I was Nate Austin with a hot, pot, a hot cup of coffee. And so, um, you know, here's the thing too. If you're going to win the, or if you're going to compete in the CrossFit Games, how many workouts do you think you're going to do in the CrossFit Games? Two or Fucking three. 400 in a day. <laughs> right i mean seriously like I mean, like like they'll throw two to three four workouts in a day yeah sure. so if you're going to the cross games and you're not doing two and three and four workouts a day i don't think that's that you got the wrong guy because he's talking about a pm session being farmer walks yeah so so i well, i interpreted this I question mean, as somebody preparing for sport two a days but then kind of rereading it and hearing y'all's interpretation this guy's just training to train yeah well it, yeah but i don't really call farmer walks uh, like training to he's me, trying to, he's like, trying to split two different energy targeted energy systems into two different training sessions over two periods of the day. Sure. Yeah. If you got the time and availability to do it, but like, I guess my, like, you know, I feel like Billy Madison, like shaking that fat kid, like don't ever leave in fucking, uh, uh, in Billy Madison. But like, dude, just, if, just keep going. You should be getting progress. If you like how you look, feel and perform, keep on going. The old Rob Wolf, like fucking eight years ago. How do you look? How do you feel? How you perform? Go do it. As soon as it stops working, then maybe just change it up. Or if you, you're curious to try it, try it. And then if it doesn't feel good or doesn't work, it's not what it cracked out to be. Look, feel, perform starts to go down. Get rid of it. But all right, next question. We'll we'll go with an easy one. So, what's the greatest knowledge bomb that you've ever heard? And number two, what's the greatest bomb that you've heard this year? 
you're so you're you're enhancing these questions. Yeah. That's, so that's not the question, but you enhanced it. Yeah, because I can. I'm sitting here in the seat. You are the question master. <laughs> Creative freedom. Wow. What's the best piece of knowledge I've ever heard? Uh, can I throw mine wow. out there? Yeah, I know, throw it out there. Uh, without a doubt, a man with a choice is a man with a problem. Well, like that, I've that's run your into father. That. Yeah, it's my old man, and it's like it. There's just so to me. There's so much like obviously deep meaning to that, but it's just like how fucking true is that? No choice, no problem. So it's just like, now what can you do with that information? I don't know, just other than fucking. That can help you be a better leader instead of providing options for somebody, you just give them the direction. There you go. But uh, so that, I think that's one I always think of, like probably on a weekly basis, I'm fucking posed with that. Like, man, yeah, you a wise man said that. Yeah, you do say that a lot. But uh, I wonder if you want something more applicable to training. Well, I can do two trainings. All right, well, Tex, what do you got? Uh, first training, best. Knowledge bomb I've ever heard, CrossFit Football Seminar, circa 2009, posture and position. So I played defense and uh, for lacrosse. So if I lost my position, the whole rep, uh, defensive scheme is done, and I failed. And in this sport, the whole offenses are designed to attack my position. So I had 20 opportunities to fail. So it was uh, if I maintain my position on the field. That's what I was told for four years. And then all of a sudden I attend this seminar and it's then John made the connection between you lose your position on the field, you fail, whether that's offensive tackle guard uh, or lacrosse. And then if you lose your position on the, the weight, whatever you're doing, you fail. So it's the opportunity to fight for posture and position with everything in the world coming down on you and you to maintain that. So that was uh, just what helped make the connection for me as an athlete, then coach and between the program and the weight room and the field. Uh, so, best knowledge bomb I've heard within a year, it's going to be from that sprinting book. Uh, I've been balls deep in uh, France over there, or Franck. Franck Bosch? Franck Bosch. Franz Bosch. So, it, it was just about the hamstring, and he called it, the hamstring is the, the spider in the web of motion. Mm. So, hamstring is what regulates movement, and it, it's the dampening spring with the, within the leg, and because it's a bi-articular muscle which means it crosses two joints and a quad on the other hand is a uh, just crosses one so monoarticular and that's what initiates movement so the hamstring becomes more important when we talk about change in direction plyometrics and that it, it regulates the action of the leg instead of just initiating the movement um for me uh probably the best knowledge bomb ever was when we came up and really just for years been trying to develop a definition of athleticism. And it's actually on the wall. The ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known and novel task. So that was probably the best, but the, the best one this year, and I'll break them into two, comes from my good friend Jim Wendler. Uh, after I had our little boy, I was feeling extremely unmotivated because I wasn't sleeping very much. And so whenever I need a kick in the balls and a little bit of motivation, I reach out to Jim and uh, you know, we discussed because he's got a couple kids and we just kind of bitch about being fathers. And I asked him, I said, yo, man, I need a little bit of motivation. He actually wrote me something extremely po poetic. He said, John, uh, you're too strong and too successful to need motivation. Motivation is an emotional response to a goal. You know that discipline and consistency is what it takes to be successful free of emotion. You'll train regardless, even if it's pointless. Personally, I train to fulfill need to set and achieve goals. This is who I am and who I want to continue to be. So it's no longer about just squatting X pounds. It's about the challenge of hitting a new goal for a PR on that day. 
And this continues even when I'm super busy or tired, I just adjust the training. So find your principle for training or why you do it and adjust to the circumstances. I imagine training was for football and then for strength and then eventually you realize it's just got a bigger hold of you and the evolution is pretty cool. And here's actually the two best parts. He said, you must evolve as training can no longer serve the initial purpose. And then here's the best piece of knowledge Jim Wendler's ever given me. Standing water is filled with disease. Jim Wendler. Mm-hmm. Standing water is filled with disease. So when I come in in the morning and we start working, I look at that quote and think standing water is full of disease. Uh, rolling stone gathers no moss. It's time to just keep fucking rolling and moving forward. And so oddly enough, our deal is uh, we don't know where we're going, but we're going to go real fast. If you ever driven with us anywhere, that's how we go. <laughs> so uh, really the little bit of motivation I have on my wall from Jim Wendler and then our uh, definition of athleticism. Yeah. And I guess paralleling that I, in text, maybe you can remember the guest, but his podcast guest and he, he summed up kind of what we do here in, uh, I don't know, it's a very simple way, and it was Be Useful. Was that Chris McDougal? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chris McDougal episode, Born to Run. One of the best one we and he, you know, he just, he just said it that simple, and like, I just saw like, all sorts of shit flash before my eyes, whether it was like uh, you know, moving a fucking uh, uh, piece of furniture, help, like, helping you fucking load up that trailer with all that garbage in your backyard when you demoed your house. Remember we put like 6,000 fucking pounds of garbage in there uh or like going out and playing like weekend sports and shit like that or anything like be useful but all of it is predicated on your ability to do this seamlessly effortlessly combine ground movement patterns through space known and normal tasks right and like i guess if if you're training or you're following a program and you can't or you're writing a program for your people and you can't say how is this making them more useful i mean maybe you got to take a step back right so i mean we can and that's one thing i think the guys in uh, in Manchester for at the last seminar kept giving me a pat on the butt for which uh, there's like three or four guys there that were just like literally literally would come up and pat <laughs> my butt. Uh, one guy it was his second time at the seminar, dude Tom Alec, who we know Alec. If he's probably gonna fucking listen to this, get a because he's written me his fucking how many fucking uh, love letters, <laughs> love letters. But these guys are just like, dude, you're making these connections or you're threading, you're threading all threading. the information up, you're threading it together, and it's like. Anything we tell you to do, we can tell you exactly why it's making you more useful in either your competitive domain or if you're just a general person following Field Strong, why it's going to make you more useful in life, right? And that's because the training should have purpose rather than just getting good at training, right? So, I don't know. Next one. All right, so sticking with primal movements, here's a question I'd love to get into. What do you say to the camp of people who would have athletes perform unilateral versus bilateral movements in the squat or deadlift, i.e. doing single leg split squats or traditional back squats. Uh, so I'd like to just get into unilateral versus bilateral. I don't know about the, the formation of the question, but this is something uh, we had on the forums. And the approach that I wanted those people in the discussion on the forums to take is it's not one versus the other. Yeah. <laughs> when we look at primal movements, it's, three actions, three actions in the lower body that we're focusing on. So two of those just happen to be unilateral. So two, two actions are going to talk about lunge and step up, and then bilateral is going to be our hip hinge or squat or deadlift. So it's not one versus the other. It's giving the athlete proficiency and competency in all of them, in all of them under high amount of stress. In every plane of motion. And I guess what we would say to those people who are subscribed to just unilateral, you're wrong like broaden your horizon and if you're just what did i say first unilateral or bilateral you said you, the other one that i didn't say 
you're wrong too. They're, they both have a place in training. You should know how to use them. Again, our, we're about being as athletic as possible in life or in sport. And you need to have both of those components um, involved. I guess one thing that we are, we are known for is linear, linearly progressing uh, the bilateral movements, right? And when I questioned John over a cocktail at a gentleman's <laughs> lounge about why we couldn't do the, the, uh, the bilateral or unilateral, he said, you can't. He's like, but I just want to get more. So when we talk about the novice window, we want to get the most out that we can and, uh, and teach our athlete how to support a, a larger amount of weight to fold the proverbial metal and build the tensile strength of the trunk trunk stability and the best way we know how to do that is to challenge posture and position in the bilateral movements and i'm like oh okay well, so you've answered uh, my question what i said was that you asked if you could linear progress uh, uh unilateral movements and i said you can linear progress, progress anything. anything yeah <laughs> but in terms of mo more meaningful um yeah. you know then it's not as meaningful as on the bilateral force the tree be yeah because at the end of the day uh unilateral mm -hmm. movements take into a lot more account with stability it's kind of like uh, the overhead squat is a terrible strength training movement or a test of strength. It's a test of stability and shoulder fun you know, function and trunk mobility and all those other key factors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting a heavy bar on somebody's back and asking them to go up and down is a more, I guess you'd call it more of a, a pure strength type movement. But I mean, Tom Enkledon and I had a great conversation about this, actually not in, uh, another one offline, but him talking about um, at a certain point, unilateral movements become extremely beneficial because you can overload that specific muscle without, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? He, he basically made the point of uh, physical and neural um, partitioning, where you might have a more dominant side that in bilateral movements all of a sudden will get more activation mm -hmm. so that you can actually pinpoint and start developing it. And, um, you know, he made a great point in terms of uh, both uh, muscularity and, and um, you know, strength, that at some point in an advanced athlete, that unilateral movement should be kind of partitioned. Right, and, and go ahead. Go, so go. the majority of people we're working with, and then where listeners are working with, they need that accelerated adaptation that the the bilaterals provide. So once they develop that structure and that tensile strength, it provides us more of an opportunity to then accelerate the step advancement of lunge. Yeah, right. So rather than trying to hit everything concurrently, potentially flattening out that adaptation curve. We found that having this partition uh, works faster. So I guess direct answer again, just to summarize, they both have a place in training. They should both be progressed. Every ounce counts. And uh, anybody who's in the camp of one versus the other, you know, I, we uh, respectfully disagree with because I know Mike Boyle has his reasons. We had him on the podcast. But I think where he, you know – he gave us an example of his, his six foot two volleyball girl. Like we would still have her do bilateral work, but it wouldn't be at the compromise of posture and position. I think, uh, you know, Mike Boyle, uh, for all the heat he takes, I really appreciated him on the podcast. And actually he was more similar to us and just about anybody else we've had mm -hmm. in that, you know, here's a guy who has a, a very, very long breadth of, athletes he's worked with and pedigree. Very, you know, his pedigree. I mean, just who he's worked with is phenomenal for as long as he's been in it. Yeah. And what, and, not who, and, but what he's also accomplished well, yeah, with regards to injury he, rates and shit like he that. He ran into a deal where he started finding that, you know, was, was it more important? Like what was more important? The training of the movement. Yeah. Right. So he was like, if somebody can't squat and I need them to do some form of flexion extension with their legs, how do I get it done? 
Maybe it's not the squat. Yeah, maybe it's not the squat. Like if their shoulders messed up and, uh, you know, this. And so he started looking for different ways to load the movement. And he started getting into these hockey guys that had back injuries and they couldn't squat. And so he's like, I'm like, uh, you know, I got this deck of cards. I know what I want to do, but I don't get to play that card. So he got to the point where he was playing other cards and the people were getting performance gains uh, out of different, out of, you know, unilateral movements. But then we talked to Stu McGill, who blames all these loose hips and hip injuries and capsule injuries on Mike Boyle and his, uh, you know, fucking overloading the unilateral movements. And when I told Boyle about that, he's like, fuck Stu McGill. So, I mean, you know, there's two world-renowned experts. I mean, you know, I'll say Boyle is an expert because he is, and so is, you know, Stu McGill, and I thought it was hilarious. But the problem is, is that people are in this camp. And you know what, Stu McGill, if you guys have an opportunity to go back and listen to that podcast, was probably one of the best podcasts we've had because his whole thing was like squat, move, carry, walk, train, you know, like train different movement patterns. Don't get stuck in the same things. Yeah, very you know, bilateral, unilateral move. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, bilateral, unilateral carries this trunk stability. And um, you know, I, I think even at the end, I, I thank Stu for actually being one of the least crazy people we've ever talked to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, I, I felt like I, you know, and I, I had several conversations with him offline. Some of the best stuff. Um, just really, um, just. Very, very inspirational and very good for us. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think people really kind of fight this deal and realize that in terms of primal movement patterns, you have to develop a bilateral. you got to be able to, you got to be able to lunge. you got to be able to step. Um, you know, Rip kind of shit on the, on the lunges. Like, lunges are just for making you real sore. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, why are you sore? Limiting factors. Limiting factors. I'm like, if, if your whole mode for doing something or not doing something is getting sore, then you have to reevaluate. So yeah. I, I love Rip, but we always joke, you know, these things go back. Yeah. And I think you two like gladly will disagree. Well, I'm, and, I'm, like, I'm excited agree that you'll never agree. I'm, I'm excited to the, to the day. What, what's funny is uh, uh, Rip, Rip and I battle on a lot of things, but yet, um, you know, Rip's like the day you move to Texas, I will gladly come down and eat your barbecue. I'll get say, him on. Talk to me, Johnny. Yeah, no, That's yeah, going to be so epic when we get him on the long run. Oh yeah. No, he, he said he'll, he'll drive and, uh, He's like, you know, uh, when you get out of this fucking terrible California state, I would gladly come to your house and barbecue. Because uh, Rip came to my house in Newport Beach, and I pulled out some really, really nice steaks that I had that I had gotten from Macau that I had hung extra days and the whole deal. And he was uh, so appreciative, like that, like, like it's, it's just, it, it's interesting when you meet people that are, and I, I consider Rip. Uh, to be in that old school, like my parents kind of deal, like you see him, you shake, like I always fuck with him and try to hug him and shit. He's like, don't hug me, which I still do to my dad. But like I came over and I was like, yo man, I, I, I bought this whole cow. Like we got some really nice choice cuts. I pulled them out and Rick was like, you know, undercooked them perfectly and he did cuts into it and he's like, it's real nice of you. He's like, you know, to come over to somebody's house and serve them this quality of meat you know, goes to show, you know, what kind of individual you are. And I'm like, what do people fucking invite you over and serve you fucking Chuck Round? You're, you're opening the freezer. Yeah, no, I did. I mean, you guys come over. I mean, dude, we've been eating that elk every time you guys come over. So, you know, I, I don't believe me. If, if somebody's coming over, I'm going to cook something nice because I want to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm like, Kate, fire up the good stuff. You know, don't break out the fish sticks. What do we got, Tex? All right. Sticking with athleticism. This is from Crookston. <clears throat> Train heroic. Uh, ben Crookston. Hmm. All right. Name three. Name the three best arenas for finding competition for the aging power athlete. It seems like the endurance market is always the natural path for aging competitors. 
what are your recommendations for fueling the competitive fire for athletes whose biggest power outputs are behind them? Well, what opportunities are out there for the aging power athlete? You know, I mean, the Highland Game stuff. There's Highland Games. There's probably uh, some strongman uh, like Denny. Just oh did. yeah, for sure. There's some powerlifting. I mean, um, you know, nothing. Is, I I really don't want to see old man gymnastics. Why? What's, have you seen old school? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, and like, you know, I I think, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, like the tough mother stuff is great, and like some form of adventure racing, I, I think is good. Uh, but that that kind of falls on the yeah. endurance side. But there's masters tracks. So we got Jay Fizzle on. Yeah, and he he. I'm sure there's a you can link us up to the barrier to entry if it's necessary. Did you guys watch the uh, Olympic trials? No, no, I wanted to get into. So we watched the uh, the men's and the women's 100 and 200 uh, for the Olympic trials uh, with the girls, and we also watched the gymnastics and the swimming because my daughter Jamie's super into swimming, and Killy's just like enamored with the gymnastics. But we got a chance to watch the sprint stuff, and uh, it was pretty amazing to watch. Not only, uh, you know, the attention to detail, like seeing how explosive those girls were out of the uh, out of the blocks. But, I mean, there were girls – I think the one girl that won ended up running sub-11 flat. She was like uh, – like, I think she was uh, like a 1078 or maybe like a 100. I mean, dude. And then uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, not Tyson Gay, but uh, uh, who was the guy – the other guy um, – uh, that one today. Yeah, Ty, Tyson Gay got got basically smoked, but it was uh, the other guy who's in his thirties. Uh, fuck, a little come here in a second. Uh, but dude, it was amazing to watch and like watching the track stuff at Oregon, especially was really nice. I mean, it just looks so killer. But just seeing the uh, level of emotion and watching people run. I mean, dude, like to me, um, there's nothing better than watching somebody run a hundred meters as fast as they can. I mean, against other people, people the foot are, race dude i'm yeah. telling you it's like yeah and and then they, they they also had like a, a bunch of the decathletes um those guys went out and ran the 1500 which was pretty hilarious uh watching those guys run because they all ran like four and a half minutes like they were all sub five minute like like uh miles i mean it was pretty it was pretty good dude i was like this is awesome so, yeah yeah it was cool so i, was I guess in so we did we get a third one because I think powerlifting for sure. I'm sorry, uh, uh, strongman is could be like the is pretty low barrier to entry, not super skilled. The Highland Games stuff I think is a little more skilled, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and then do we want to go with powerlifting or is there something else out there we're Dude, not thinking? Masters track, masters ben, track. Ben's fast. He's fast as fuck. Yeah. Who? Uh, well, Ben is actually Crookson training for the. Yeah, he's training for the uh, bobsled. Uh, oddly enough, though, uh, uh, for a kid who just played college football, he's actually in worse shape than I am. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, he, well, you know, it's just uh, – I always think um, the guys you see get to a long NFL career are there just merely because from some genetic adaptation that they're able just to endure more harassment than other people. But didn't you tell an analogy about two two of the same truck and one got beat to shit, didn't change the oil and lasted longer? Yeah, did I tell that on the, on the podcast? Or I tell you no, it was just us. I think just so, us girls. So as you guys know uh, – uh, I'm into piece of shit trucks and more importantly, I'm really into diesel pickups and diesel blazers and uh, anything diesel I'm kind of in. And this is, you know, started years ago when I got my first Duramax and I have always been enamored by diesel motors because one, they make monster torque and also they're more efficient than gas motors. And uh, just the, the, the chugga 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 of a diesel is always good. So I had a 6.2 diesel and then put a 6.5 in my, uh, in my blazer and I drive a Duramax and the uh, the power athlete you know uh, just added a new one to the fleet 
uh, 6.2 diesel, a dually. And uh, I called a guy about an injection pump and got on there and wrapped a little bit with him and was asking him about break-in period. And he made a good point to me. He said he uh, went to buy um, a new Duramax and he bought two trucks at the exact same time. One was his truck and the other one was the company truck. And the company truck towed like a you know, 10, 15, 20,000 pound trailer. Everybody in the company drove it. They didn't change the oil. They literally just beat it from day one. They never fixed anything. They uh, you know, went over the service and used it every which way they could. The other one was his own nice truck and he changed the oil and babied it and didn't do anything, didn't tow. And he goes, guess which one had the most problems? I was like, well, I don't know. He said the one that he babied had so many problems he ended up selling it. He goes, the one that they abused out the gate he goes, has never had a single problem. They've never had any sensors, never changed the brakes. I mean, he goes, literally that truck is indestructible. Everybody that drives it tries to buy it because it's so dependable. So he said with diesel trucks, he goes, if you baby them, they're going to come come back to bite you. So his analogy to me was hammered from day one. And honestly, that's how – I don't drive my car like an asshole. But I, did, like, I've, I believe in that because I've noticed that when I would pamper a truck – Back when I was a kid, I didn't have any nice trucks. I had that little fucking yeah, S10. Yeah, but uh, I think gassers are a little bit different than diesels. I don't know, man, because I, I think it's I think it's kind of the same. Maybe it's the fucking motor. Maybe it's the build out. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to a vehicle. But um, I know my buddies who drove like pussies. Their cars would have problems. But then, if you know how to fucking kind of push your car and kind of hammer it slash keep it on the rails. Um, I just, those guys would also, they didn't have that many problems. Well, but also you go back to the Navistar where you told me that, you know, these guys are out there abusing their trucks and all they did was they serviced them early and they knew yep. they would last long. Just stay ahead of the the, the recommended service cycles. Well, yeah, I mean, so. it's it's like, um, you know, uh, like I've been looking at like a little, putting a 4BT in the Blazer because I, I just love the idea of a little straight four cylinder that I could just ramp up and just abuse all day long. Yeah. And what's crazy is guys will run those four BTs for like, you know, a couple hundred thousand miles, pull them out and throw them in two or three different vehicles, change the oil, never do anything. And those things will run forever, mm -hmm. you know? So I how mean, do we get on this? Oh, the power, uh, power sports. <laughs> yeah, power sports. So the moral story is if you have a diesel, don't baby. Now, <laughs> now here's the deal. Are you a gas or are you a diesel? Who me or Tex? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I just, well, let's just go to the next We have no choice to be, but diesel. Like if we yeah, show up, if we buy a car, every day. if we buy a car without John knowing, like where you're automatically fired, one. Two, if you show up with a car that has a, a gas motor in it, you're fired. So like if we want to keep our jobs, we just got to get diesels, which is why I got that VW diesel. And then next thing you know, I'm a fucking it. criminal now. Well, no, here's the thing. And, and like, I, I kind of laugh because, uh, you know, I've been into the diesels for, geez, a long time now. I, mean, I got my first Duramax in 03. And so I've been into it for like 13 years and I've always been about the diesels and you could usually score them pretty soon. And then that diesel brothers show comes on with the guys in Utah and now all of a sudden everybody's fucking it's on the, the cool diesel thing, train yeah. and like, I'm like, fuck the diesels went up in value. And so uh, little they know we have a fleet of uh, diesel pickups, <laughs> but the reason we drive diesel trucks is because they're the only ones that don't have to mess with the emissions in California, which can be a ball buster. All right, let's get back to it. Tex. What do we all have? right. Uh, training. So remote coaching. Mm. So incredible challenge for, I guess, some athletes to take on. We got Stu, Stu from Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure I need a coach. I was once told a coach needs a coach. I failed with remote coaching in the past. How the hell do I find the right one for me? I have also made tremendous gains using the CrossFit football amateur design. So thanks for that. So there you go. I guess, I don't know, John, you've remote coached some people. I, um, I've got a few I, on my I, list. Texas doing it for him. I mean, what do you – I I think uh, 
at least for me, um, remote coaching is pretty labor intensive in that you have to be, you know, not only writing programs involved, like really in, in communication with the guy because you're not seeing him. So to keep those touch points alive, you got to have a video, you got to text, you got to yeah, do it. Yeah. And so for me, uh, I just can't really do the remote coaching anymore as much. I mean, I, I can do programming and, and do some of the things I do, but in terms of one-on-one stuff, I uh, just too much, too much. Well, let me ask you this. Let me reframe the question for you. You've had clients recently, I think, that uh, it didn't work out well. What did you notice from the client side that didn't, that why do you think they failed? Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think the reason that you know, like a big part of coaching is daily accountability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if you show up each day and you see that person, there's some form of accountability. I think when all of a sudden things are done remotely, I, I just don't know if it's the same accountability. It's kind of like uh, you know, going to the gym, or, you know. <laughs> If you're so here, let me let me. Throw, I'm kind of baiting you. Like, if you're the type of guy who, like, if text calls me back or text calls me, I'm like, hey man, I got to call you back in ten minutes, right? And I don't call text back. I don't think I'm a candidate for remote coaching because the coach, if they have multiple athletes, it, you have to find a really special obsessed coach to stay that far hard on top of you because oftentimes it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. The most successful people that we have through our nutrition coaching yeah. and that. Uh, that I've worked with on on the the private coaching through Power Athlete are the ones who like we are in we it's easy to get along with like we we speak each other's languages we fucking we both like show throw movie quotes and quotes and jokes and shit at one another uh, you're just easy to communicate and you're not like dreading like you can tell that the athlete isn't holding anything back when they check in. Does that make sense? Like they're not being brief. They're not being, they're not leaving out details. They're giving you everything. And when they give me that, then I can give them everything because I know what to get back to. So it's like asking these questions, like, should I do two days? Well, what, for, for, tell me about yourself type deal. Um, so I guess it, but if you're not that type of guy and you're not the one that's going to have the quality that you want to get in touch with your coach, then maybe remote coaching isn't for you, but that could also, I guess, be a personnel thing. So I'll take the coaching perspective and that we have more tools in the toolkit. So one approach that I take and then uh, all my private guys can account for this is I don't ask for lift videos. So I ask for the dead bugs. I ask for the seesaw walks. I ask for the Spider-Mans because I know what I see within those I'm going to see in the lift. Right. So if we're able to correct with using all of our other tools, assessment protocols, we can better put you in a position to make you more coachable when it does come to the lift because you'll be more connected to your body, you'll be more aware, and we're attacking limiting factors immediately. So we never look at the squat as a squat. We look at all the components of the squat and then try to kind of fix all the pieces and then put you in a position to step under the bar and succeed. Mm -hmm. That performance perspective in terms of like, hey, think dead bug, hey, think exactly. seesaw walk, hey, think this, because we've mastered the in, the, in like the small components, the chunking model. So I don't know, man. Well, I don't know. I don't think this guy's worked with us, but he's been in a seminar. Okay. So the, the remote coaching thing can work, but like, it's kind of like a long distance relationship thing. Certain people can do it. Other people can. Yeah. So do we, do we answer that? I believe so. I got a brief, brief from my private guy, Peter, who's checking in. Are you familiar with Donnie Thompson's back protocol at all? Uh, no. Okay. Then we, we, we tried to get Donnie on the podcast and oddly enough, we couldn't do it. 
Okay. Yeah. We'll so skip that one. Yeah. I, well, I, it had to do with inversion, hanging yeah, like inversion. Uh, or something yeah. Like I, I mean, uh, yeah. I think inversion's great, especially for unloading the joints. But uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with any Donnie stuff. So can't. Yeah, we can't intelligently yeah. speak to it. So. Okay. Uh, lightning round. Sure. All right. Let's. Yeah. Sure. All right. So we got a request for a return of the day in the life of CrossFit football <laughs> seminar staff. All right. Luke, you can speak to this. Okay. It's in the works. So Tex and I are trying to fucking just swallow our pride or ego. I don't know, John. What would it be? What is what is that feeling that you feel if you're holding a camera and talking to it in fucking public? Um, you know what? You got to channel your inner Steve Weatherford. <laughs> you know, uh, when, when I last I saw Steve was at his uh, dinner with the pros thing, and I tried to have a conversation with him. But I couldn't because he was Snapchatting, he was Instagramming, mm -hmm. he was like working like three different phones and all these different things, and I was kind of like, "Hey, I'm a, you know, like, so like I, I think it's, uh, you know what? Think about this. What if you just got like a, a hat that had like a boom on it with the GoPro, and you just like had the hat on, and the GoPro was right there, and you just walked around just talking, filming, talk, you know, thinking, yeah. being, you know, you and. Allowing you to be you. So that's what we're trying to do. I got one from Colorado. I'm going to put out there to see what it's like. But we're calling it carrying the milestone, right? And it's just like, um, I don't know, just in the sense that just being part of this seminar staff is a huge milestone for Tex and I. And it's like we we also consider it a milestone for anybody attending it in the sense that we're this is our opportunity to shift people's coach's journey or athlete's journey, shift the trajectory of that. In, in a positive sense, and we consider that to be a milestone. So um, you should see some of that shit coming out on YouTube shortly. Yeah, and John and I are going to Spain, so I'll try to capture and see what we can come up with. Yeah, cool. for sure. Uh, here's an easy one. John, will Power Athlete HQ ever put out a CrossFit competition athlete program on Train Heroic? Uh, we could. Um, you know, I, that would just take – having sitting down and being able to enter it into train heroic, which uh, I don't know if you guys know, but for the way that we write program is, is kind of laborious. I mean, it takes a lot of work, but uh, we could definitely do it. Um, if there was a need for it, uh, you know, if there was a desire for people to follow a power athlete inspired uh, program, um, actually I have, it. it's called the big monkey, but I don't know if you're ready for it because people don't have time. You know, and it like, and well, honestly, in order to support these programs, we need f at least 500 people to follow it. Well, that, right? yeah, I mean, it's so, so what we put it out, we write it, we program it and, and like people are going to look and they'll be like, wow, I got to train, you know, like, I mean, people complain about the training on field strong being that's you what know, I'm 90 minutes. So, and they're like, wait a minute, I can't win the game uh, across the game. So 45 minutes a day. I'm so right here's, now. I guess here's the thing. Who, what's, who's, how should I address this person? Uh, if you want, if, if you want what's that here? program, email us and we can. So that, that would realistically have to be a private deal because um, uh, so this is where like John, John had this idea and then I'm like, the try, I'm the business guy and I fucking shit on it because I don't think it's going to be hit. We don't have a big enough market for it. And uh, are we capable of doing it? Yeah. I mean, do, do we, do we have a base of people following our program that do that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe a small base, but it just, that's not the market we truly cater to, but it's something we could certainly do on a private programming basis. And it just, isn't ready really to go to mass market. We just don't have that audience. So there's the unfortunate reality. Like I know you want that, but it's not all about you, <laughs> right? It's about the other people. 
no spin fit. Uh, easy one, I guess. Power clean or squat? Yes. No, you got to pick one. You're going to a desert island. You get three things. Yes. One of them is Fight Club the movie. The other one is what else? Well, Fuko beef jerky. Well, Fuko beef jerky. And then finally, you get to pick one lift. What are you taking with you? I'll take the squat. What are you taking? I'm going to just do the opposite of you. Shit. What you that's what, that was my plan. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to all go jump in and say power clean just because I love to talk with Olympic lifters and just have fun with them. Because they're they're so beeline, so kind of uh, focused straight ahead, got the blinders on, and I love to just ask the stupid questions and really just mess with them in conversation. I think I'm going to go squat because you can do more variations of a squat. Right? Yeah. There's only one power clean. I can stagger well, my feet. you can feet. do a one-arm power clean. One-arm power clean? No, only stagger stance, cloak you can off it elevated. Uh-huh. Dude, there's more variations. Nah. We just haven't, you haven't come up with them yet. That's right. <laughs> but you. if we're sitting on a desert island, we only have that lift, we're going to get pretty fucking creative. Yeah, fair enough. What else we got? Uh, favorite book. Favorite book for strength and conditioning. Oh, for strength and conditioning. Um, hmm. Favorite book for strength and conditioning. I'm just going to default to whatever text tells me because he's going to have to give me the cliff notes anyways. I think the Ritter Cottage Meat Book. <laughs> <laughs> Probably my best strength and my favorite strength conditioning uh, deal, the River Co River Cottage Meat Book. Let me go with that one. If you've never read it, that's the best strength conditioning book I've ever, ever read. Right. Tex, what do you got? Uh, I'll, I'll go Hatfield. So it's it teaches you how to have a strength and conditioning conversation with the meathead. Mm -hmm. He takes all the science out, just tells you what you need to know. And it's a good kind of stepping stone for anyone looking to get into this. What I don't recommend is, is your stepping stone be super training because that'll just scare you off, as we've seen with many a folk that we recommend that text. To. I think it's a great book. Oh, I, I'm all about it. I love it. I mean, any, anytime I have a question, I can usually relate it to something back in super training. Absolutely. I think I'm going to go my favorite ebook is one in progress called Bedrock Text. Wink. Ooh. Wink. Right, because that's going to be the entryway to like Nirvana. To to honestly, every and anything you need to know about. I'm excited to write the forward. Mm -hmm. Getting every it's like every journey's got to start somewhere, John. You know, every journey, every <laughs> journey of a thousand steps begins with one step. One monumental step. Yeah. <laughs> a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single toe in the one direction. So what do we got, Tex? Uh, let's see. This is a, a personal for Luke. Oh, God. <laughs> How does it feel? This is from a, a DOS clinic. How does it feel to be beaten by an emaciated man? So here's the background on this question is the fact that Nate has wasted away to 160 pounds, and he's not even he's over. A, that's my guess. Doesn't he look like? Well, uh, oh, he, he's looking pretty thin. He looks I, like Christian Bale from The Machinist. Uh, yeah, I, I actually uh, – Thought he looked more like Sarah Jessica Parker mm -hmm. in uh, Sex and the City, <laughs> but uh, you know his beard is you know kind of patchy, which is weird because he's intentionally making it patchy. Yeah, this is huh. weird. I mean, I'm not one to talk. I'm wearing this stupid yeah, beard, it's, but it's uh, but we were rack pulling this morning, and as everybody may or may not know, I'm allergic to pulling. Well, but here's the thing: he uh, 
my favorite part about Nate is Nate decides what he wants to compete on, but doesn't tell you about it until after he's so, done. In case he wins, so, then. so like you absolutely destroy him on the safety squat bar, mm-hmm. but yet he doesn't remember that, which is part of Nate's problem. Is uh, he has this uh, incredibly selective, selective, but almost like strangely inflated sense of ego. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of uh, disproportionate and more importantly disconnected from anything. So to answer your question, I guess, so we don't barrel forward on this, I feel nothing. I'm a nihilist. <laughs> That's just your opinion, man. Yeah. Because uh, right. I, I, I truly think I could have thrown another 50 pounds on that rec pull. Yeah, uh, that looked good. Yeah. So. This is from Ingo B. Oh. <laughs> oh, For John. Has past head trauma affected John's taste in music? Because that would explain a lot. <laughs> Uh, would, well, <laughs> I'll tell you, you, you know what it is? After I lit Ingo up, where I actually named uh, the most recent program after him, uh-huh. which is the cast, which is Can Asians Stop Talking? It's <laughs> actually the name of the most recent program, which is directed at Ingo. Uh, but Ingo is actually the purveyor of bad jokes and terrible timing. Uh-huh. He, uh, not, not only is he uh, an oddly strange DJ that's relegated towards Middle Eastern weddings and 80s pop and, uh, uh, you know, quinceaneras at the park, uh, which is pretty much his, you know, that's his wheelhouse. Um, you know, he, it's not good. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I I really don't know what my music taste would have to do with Ingo's. But you know, well, because you know he's probably all over your Instagram and you're posting up playlists with like uh, Godsmack and then Katy Perry and then uh, what did Promoter put on? Uh, <laughs> Steely Dan. Well, Steely well, Dan. Steely. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been posting Instagram like don't sleep on these. <laughs> oh. So oddly enough, we don't have an Ingo. Uh, playlist. Thank God. Uh, I think we like, do. His is like three days long. It'd be like Aquaman and like I'm a Barbie girl. All right, let's barrel forward text. All right, uh, this is this is from uh, anonymous. So kids seem to be dropping out of high school to be homeschooled so that they can spend more try more time training for CrossFit. So what's your take on this, John? Um. Competitive CrossFit. Competitive. Because there are team divisions that are at the games. Um, I really have really like just no real opinion about this. I mean, I I think if if you're at the point where you have to drop out of school to be homeschooled to try to do enough in terms of uh, athletic advantage, I I, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, you know, I could understand if you're, uh, you know, a 10, 12 year old girl who is training for the Olympics and you have to move to a, you know, someplace to train the private training facility. Yeah, and figure then, skater, yeah, gymnast, like, tennis, like, like, tennis, golf, those exist. Like the, the story, uh, one of the guys I played high school football with who sat next to me in one of my classes, Ron Kwan, uh, I remember he didn't go out after sophomore year. I was like, oh, you know, how come you didn't go out for varsity? So I'm in class. He's like, I can't. I got to work at our family's restaurant. I was like, oh, that sucks. I'm like, dude, you don't get to play football. He's like, yeah. Well, my sister's really good at ice skating, and so she has to move to Lake Arrowhead, and my mom's living with her so she can train full-time in ice skating. And I was like, oh. And he's like, so I got to work at the family restaurant and kind of support everything. I'm like, dude, that's pretty good. And he's like, yeah, my sister's pretty good at figure skating. And his sister, Michelle Kwan. Whoa. 
right. so I went to school with her brother Ron Kwan, and he's like, yeah, she's pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it's like the most decorated female figure skater in the history of the world, Michelle Kwan, wins like twenty seven gold medals or something. But like, there was, you know, like, could CrossFit go up to that deal? I think, um, you know, I don't know a single football player who. Uh, you know, said, Hey, I'm going to get homeschooled so I can effectively just train all day. Um, and more importantly, uh, all the kids that I know that were homeschooled were all a little odd. So I think if you want to set your kid up for being extremely odd, homeschool him and uh, educate him and then let him do CrossFit all the time. So, and good luck getting into college with that one. So, I think it's weird. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if, if my kid was like, hey, I want you to homeschool me, I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I guess that's nothing, because this is kind of a segue into another question we have, and it's nothing against necessarily the CrossFit. It's just like the exposure, like to kids should... Like kids miss, be kids? Yeah, like, and like we've talked about this uh, at, at nauseum, and, uh, but like, okay, so you have somebody who's a prodigy, maybe that makes sense, right? But for most kids, if they're not showing, exhibiting signs of being a prodigy at a certain sport or have a certain gift the the secret to like a success later on in life is exposure letting them play various things in various disciplines right and that uh so uh, where is this one uh text stall for me oh here we are teaching middle school um pe uh we go to our weight room two and a half days a week i'm not sure what that means uh maybe five days every two weeks uh, and focus on heavy squat, bench, and deadlift if they're able to perform a deadlift safety with some accessory work as well. Anything else kids should be able to do before they reach high school? So it's like, I don't know, play? Well, um, like I like the idea know, of having them I, become competent, but like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, heavy strength training um, mm -hmm. too early. I mean, I, I know it's not going to stunt your growth and do everything. I just think there's better opportunities to develop other skills outside of the weight room. That are harder to develop later on in life. Uh, I, I think I had this conversation with you guys recently. Uh, I take my daughter to gymnastics and I'm sitting there, one of the, the parents who I see there every week is a father and uh, his little girls in my daughter's gym or my, my girl's gymnastics class. And he asked, he's like, hey, um, you know, I know you played football. And so he asked me, his 10-year-old son has been playing tackle football or he went from flag football to tackle football. And he asked me what I thought and like what he could do to improve his running and a weight training program. And I asked him, I was like, well, you know, what would be the goal of putting him in football so early? And he goes, well, you know, I just think that I started playing football too late. I didn't, I waited till high school and I don't think I was ready to play. And he kind of gave me this whole deal. I said, you know, it's odd because I didn't play football until high school. And I think it didn't, you know, detract anything from me. Right. And so he was like, oh, really? Uh, you know, and I was like, actually, all the guys that I knew that played football too early all ended up getting burned out. Um, so he asked me what he what he thought should do a training program, and I actually said, you should bring your son to this. I said, you should bring him, show him up, and make him come to gymnastics three days a week and do this. And he was like, I've tried. He doesn't want to come. Uh, I was like, is he into girls? And he goes, ah, a little bit. Not really. I was like, well, he should come to gymnastics then because mm -hmm. this thing's packed with girls. Um, but I was like, in terms of the tumbling body awareness, I went through a lot of what we talk about here, a power athlete, uh, in terms of training, I was like, this is by far the best exposure I could ever hope for my kids. I'm like, when my son is nine months, I'll bring him here for, for it'll be daddy and, and, and baby, but mommy and me or whatever it is. And I will make him come to gymnastics until they tell me he can't come anymore. Mm -hmm. And that might be older, it might be later, but I think 
you know, if you can put kids in terms of like a gymnastics, um, I did martial arts and boxing when I was young, some form of grappling, whether it be like jujitsu, boxing, fighting, some form of fighting, something that uh, involves body awareness, uh, you know, and, and I was like, dude, and you, you know, you don't have to have them on a training program, but you can still do, you know, training stuff. I mean, you can, you know, create different things in the backyard. You can do things. You can make it fun. Uh, my little girls do push-ups and squats every day before they go to school. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think people are, are so enamored with this idea of a training program when in actuality, you know, you have to find fun in it before you can find the training program. And then there's also the opportunity for kind of creative chaos sports like soccer, lacrosse. So you have the skill of dribbling the ball, separating your eyes from your feet, and then moving through space with somebody else trying to, to push you around. Sure. And then, I mean, lacrosse, you have the hand-eye coordination. And, I mean, you get a weapon. It's fun for kids. Uh, I mean, and then basketball. Like, what kid does want to go in the – and this is easy for, you know, front yard, mess around uh, with older brothers and sisters, or you can teach your, your son the accuracy and kind of the depth perception with the ball yeah. and basketball. So there you go. That's, I guess, and you're in PE class. Like, you have opportunity to do all that shit. So, so it would be like putting the training into play. So don't geek out too much about, like, the best training protocol for a middle schooler. Yeah, so, and tag. What else we got? Uh, nutrition. All right. So what meal plans and training programs do each of you follow and why? Right? Okay, so I'll uh, – I'm following essentially performance protocol, isocaloric, and then mod go between that and then our stair stop, our stair stepping model, which is the kind of the phase two, uh, the performance protocol, isocaloric, and then some play with some carb stuff, and then that is paired right now with Jack Street. So that's how we train at the 6 a.m. barbell club, and it's no brainer. Tex, uh, I'm on Luke's plan because <laughs> Tex lives on my couch right now, so he gets what. What we've, uh, what, what we yeah, take. Just so, and, then, uh, and John's, John's elk. I'm on that plan too. Yeah. I've been uh, eating a uh, majority of my carbs pre and post workout and then I eat less carbs over the course of the day. Mm -hmm. And I really haven't been dialing or like trying to like uh, count macros or, or really even amounts. I've just been, things have been a little hectic. So I've just been trying to get at least, you know, four meals a day and, uh, you know, eat the majority of carbs pre and post workout and that's it. And then to try to not eat too late. And then we've been doing whatever we've been doing in Jack Street, which is, or I mean, in the mornings is probably a little bit of Jack Street with a bunch of just conditioning. And we try to do some stuff in the afternoon. And uh, just because you know, the double days make us elite, let me just clarify. Yeah, I mean, things have been a little busy, a little bit of hectic. So it's been kind of killing the training consistency, which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, travel. So travel, fuck, fuck your world. Up. Which I guess I just want to bounce back real quick to uh, Nate's question. And I've traveled six out of the past seven weekends and have maybe trained once or twice a week. And Nate has been deadlifting, what, every week, twice a week, trying to fucking, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, but I don't really know, like, training would imply a goal, and actually with Okay, exercising and lifting uh, weights? Yeah, no, I, so we're going to have to find a new one. I think Nate's just present. Yeah, so I, I've, been on, present. I've been on the chaos train, and I fucking show up and put him to shame. Yeah, pretty much. You know why, he's, he's better at dropping bars than you. Oh God! Did, did you drop a bar? Today? Yes, he dropped the fucking bar. I, 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 I like. I, I'm glad I, I wasn't paying attention because mm -hmm. I probably would have fucking kicked him in the balls. Yeah. Uh, do we have any? And more? I'm surprised you didn't go fucking more ape shit on. Him. I just, I, 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 I had a good training day ahead of me, and I didn't want to ruin it because last time you did that shit, didn't it? Did it not ruin your fucking training I just day? Left. Yeah. So I didn't want to risk it. 
Um, one more, I think, uh, is a value here. Following the excellent Jim Carizzi podcast, any thoughts or advice on finding a good mentor to help with personal coach development inside or outside of your sport or both? I mean, text, why don't you just start? I mean, you give, you give your version of it and then I'll give what I think is an abbreviated version because you have, you, you're a vagabond. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want. Right? Yeah. Just a chicken low, everywhere I go. Not familiar with that. But anyway, (laughs) you got to establish a goal. And what are you trying to accomplish in your coaching career, your sport, your world? And find out people who have already kind of uh, either led the way or are kind of uh, creative and passionate enough to even listen to your call. So find those people and then seek them down. Uh, I did a... I believe it was a power coach conversations on this exact question. So it's, it's, it's not the, not necessarily the books or kind of uh, listening to podcasts. It's you going out of your way to hunt down the people you're interested in learning from and having a conversation with them. So you can directly ask them the conversations you want to. It's not an interpretation of their writing. It's actually you working one-on-one with them. So my advice would be just establish a goal, find people who have, already accomplished it or on their way and then seeking a conversation with them so they can help guide. And the individual or mentor doesn't have to be directly in your industry. It doesn't have to be a coach. It doesn't have to be a football coach. It can be, it could be somebody outside of that. And I guess going back to John's episode of on the long road with Andy, you know, one of the things that, his new one of John's new one isms is no one's coming to save you. Like you're going to have to put yourself in, in a position to, to be exposed to a potential mentor or to be exposed to a potential significant other, or to be exposed to a potential uh, job opportunity. If you're sitting around, if, if no one has presented themselves to you in the past five years, 10 years, one year, what the fuck makes you think that they're going to show up? I mean, it's it's a stroke of luck. It really is. So you have to put yourself out there. But it's 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 called luck. But those people that always say luck, they sought the opportunity, and yeah. then it's quote unquote lucky. Mm-hmm. But if they well, didn't take action, it's like you got to put yourself in position to be lucky. Yes, it's kind of like the guy who's like, "Oh man, you're so lucky you won the lottery." Well, did you play? No. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I don't play the lottery, but it's not like I expect to win the lottery. You know, it's like uh, you know, if like, and I'll take you back to a different time in my life. I remember my buddy saying, you know, the one place I can't get laid or I can't meet a girl at home by myself. <laughs> but if I go out to the bar, I go out to a target rich environment, there is a chance. And if there's a chance, then there's an opportunity. And I remember being like, shit, that's a pretty good idea. Let's go. Let's get ready. We, we went out to a bar. And, you know, I mean, 60% of the time, it's, it's, it's every time, but like, he was pretty funny. He's like, you know where I'm never going to meet a girl and get laid at home by myself on the couch. And so, like, it's people that are always like, oh, if only this would happen to me. And I'm like, well, dude, have you put yourself in a situation? Um, wise man once told me, be the type of person that you want to attract in your life. Like, that, I think that's what it was. So, like, if you want to, like, meet, you know, successful people and you want to, like, go out and, you know, and find a mentor or whatever, you got to put yourself in that situation. Actually, I think it was uh, Addison was asking me, he's like, yeah, I'm having trouble meeting a nice girl. How did you meet somebody? I'm like, 
Well, I had to, you know, look at what type of person I wanted to meet, and then I had to go put myself into that situation. And oddly enough, uh, hanging out at bars and strip clubs didn't really necessitate what? the place the person I wanted. To what? Meet. I know. I know. Are but, you? I think you got the wrong. Your story's mixed up. I know, I know. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's like everything. Like, uh, you know, it's all about opportunity and putting yourself out there. So, and uh, just working with a lot of college kids, what I see is that there's this expectation to take four years of classes for something you think you want to do. And then you get to the end of it, you get your job and then it sucks. And you go on some different course, whether it's going and attending a different school, if they sought out someone in that profession and maybe took an internship after their second year of school, then it would have either, you know, lit the fuel under the fire or it would have uh, provided them a pivot point earlier than paying for four years of school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess what I was getting to text when I was talking earlier is, you know, you were in a position where I guess you had no family, right? You had a job that allowed you to kind of, to be mobile and portable. So you, you saw an opportunity then to go, to go, just go, go. If, they, if they're not coming to me, I will go wherever I have to go to find them. Right. So, but at that point it's, uh, like, like it, as Andy has referenced in, uh, kind of his symposium talk, it's, pain of discipline or pain of regret. If I didn't go and spend three months with Raph and then five years from now, I would have fucking regretted it forever. Yeah. Because I had one opportunity, one shot that he was going to be in Tampa for, for four or five months before he moved on. So I just had to fucking go. And I went then mm -hmm. like it was literally here in California. And then it's, uh, how soon you can get there. So we had to swap certs. Kelly went to get Columbia with you and I just fucking flew to Tampa. Mm -hmm. So it was then now got to go. Yeah. So but I guess wouldn't have had that opportunity if, you know, I didn't seek it. Sure. There's a, a series of cascading events too. Right. And I guess, I guess having the creativity of understand, like you said, you create your goal, understand what's keeping you from there, determine limiting factors, take a step back, see what outside of your industry. If there's somebody like, holy fuck, I didn't even know that, uh, you know, Aunt Debbie works for a guy who's, you know, the uh, chief financial officer for, I don't know, I'm making shit up, but like, you got to tap into your network and, and utilize that. Right. So like, I guess don't be afraid to ask, but do something first before asking is also kind of like a nice golden rule. You know, invite Aunt Debbie over for a nice prime rib dinner at John's house. And, <laughs> and, and if you can't find say, say it is coaching again, this is just the example. I mean, that's, I think what you're asking about, you have to create your own internship. So find people that are interested in the athletic form of training. If you're not into general GPP fitness or whatever, find kids that want to be sports performance and take that, those, uh, those kids on. Mm -hmm. So create that opportunity to learn. And then maybe that opens some avenues for you. So, all right, well, what else do we got? I zoned out. <laughs> um, I think that's all the questions there, Tex. I, I mean, there's a couple in here about toes forward. Uh, yes. Do you think the law of accommodation is really a thing? It seems that people in the conjugate training world are the only ones talking about it. Yet there are a ton of effective training programs that really don't change up the main lifts that much. Well, uh, you got to remember accommodation is, uh, you know, not just related to in terms of rotating movements. It's also changing the volume and intensity. So this is all, let me just add a, a pretty important detail text. Um, something to con uh, is this something to consider? 
when a person's programming or just pick a few lifts and get really good at them. And this is with combat sports performance in mind. So this guy is, looks, sounds like he's does some sort of combat sport, MMA, whatever. Right. And he uses lift some weights to, uh, are you clicking through text? Lift some weights to get better at beating ass. Do you really have to get that jiggy with your training? No. Right. No, I mean, uh, the more advanced an athlete, the more important things like accommodation become. Uh, if you're still trying to learn the movement patterns and you're not proficient, I mean, where I believe things like the law of accommodation and really what Louis Simmons is talking about, where you're training over 90% for too long, you start seeing a detraining effect. Uh, you know, so they actually look at rotating different movements and what the Russians did. Uh, the Russians had great success with it, but yet the Bulgarians used the exact opposite. They started getting rid of lifts and they got down to like four lifts and they just went max effort every single day. Now, um, how many people, how many eggs did they break to get to their champions? Probably a lot more than the Russians did. I mean, you look at rotating different movements, you know, uh, you know, speed, dynamic reps, I mean, everything you want to talk about, but, um, you know, uh, you also got to remember, you know, the original conjugate method was based off of the idea of like power clean, hang clean, snatch, power snatch, front squat, back squat. I mean, different type movements. Uh, it, it wasn't all predicated on the idea of rotating different bars, um, you know, and the Russians had what they called special exercises. So Louis Simmons adaptation and what he's talking about for his uh, avoiding accommodation is really the, uh, is the West Side program. But if you go look at all the different variations that the Russians used, to avoid a combination uh, and still allow them to train over 90%. I mean, it's just, um, but you're also talking about extremely advanced lifters. Like, yeah, who, like yes. who is this guy? Like, where do you fit into it? Like, that's kind of like, uh, he's just, I think he's, he's just beating ass. Like how far am I from the moon? I don't know. Where are you? Yeah. So to add, add to this in terms of combat sport, I didn't watch this, but this weekend, John Jones lost. So in UFC 197, he lost and he blamed his performance on powerlifting. So Ingo caught me up to speed and he put on mass, gained size, but his, his speed was down, his performance, and he just looked slow. So his coaches, uh, who wrestling coach, he had a few different coaches who then said, I told you so for the powerlifting that he was doing. Well, uh, here's the thing. I mean, like, uh, yeah. That's like Go. saying, you know what, like, no, it's, it's ridiculous. It's kind of like saying, man, it was that chicken that I ate that, you know, uh, like fucked up my performance. And you're like, so wait a minute, you actually were able to blame it on the chicken, which, you know, we, we do quite often, but you know what? I would look at John Jones and say, well, what did your training look like? Just yeah. picking out one piece of it. Oh, I blame it on the powerlifting. Okay. Now did you effectively pull other things out of your training and then just, be like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do any fight prep. I'm not going to do any sparring. No, no grappling. Nothing. I'm just going to power lift. God damn right, you're going to get your fucking ass kicked. Now, if he all of a sudden put on too much size and muscle mass, it wasn't nearly as flexible. Then you know what? He's fucking deserves what he gets. Um, you know, the, re the, the at the end of the day, John Jones isn't getting paid to lift weights, and he isn't getting pay power lift, and he's not walking into the octagon. Somebody asks him, so so you know, what's your squat? He's getting there to pay to go fight. So you better get good at fighting. And if the training is actually negatively affecting your fighting or taking away from it, I mean, you got to remember the, tra the training is a supplement. Um, and at the end of the day, if he's able to put a training together, I mean, do you blame it on the, on the powerlifting? So, so let me I don't blame read, it on the powerlifting. I'll, I'll tell I'll you what I do. Quote. I blame it on his coach. I'll read the quote, okay? In my last fight, it definitely played a factor in me being conservative and conserving the way I use my energy. I felt like I was in good shape. My lungs were strong, but I felt like my muscle endurance maybe wasn't in the right place, okay? 
And then the, go, the quote goes on to say, I've actually been focusing in burning off muscle by doing overloading on endurance. I think you'll probably be able to tell in the weigh-ins and during the fight that I'll look a lot more like the way I used to look, a lot less bulky. My endurance feels amazing. So I think like, so he got too big before the fight and then just went strictly to overloading endurance and then showed up and performed like shit. Uh, don't you also think also... Um, that was me dropping the phone. Sorry. No, you also think that's a, uh, a big front because didn't he get popped for some drugs? I don't know. Uh, recreation. Okay. So, I mean, wouldn't it, it, it behoove us to assume, and you know what, and I know you guys can find this hard to believe, but a lot of times when professional athletes come out and say shit like this, it's an easy scapegoat thing to come out and be like, I was partying too much. I let myself get fat and I wasn't ready for the fight. More so to be like, ah, yeah, it was the power lifting I was doing. It's kind of like, um, you know, guys, you know, my favorite, you know, like there were guys in the NFL all the time, you know, would get popped for the drug stuff and be like, oh, it's a supplement I was taking. Mm-hmm. And um, you know whether or not it was or not. I mean, who knows? But you know, and the NFL never discloses that shit. But I knew a lot of guys, and whether or not they were taking anything, um, you know. So I don't know. So I guess getting back to it, uh, it's not. And this is goes with the whole. We we talked about this. We have an episode with Tyler and us talking about this. We still haven't released. We should just pop that sucker out. But it comes down to execution. Shocker. So a power lift. Uh, like I guess you would call a squat a power lift, but if you had a device that could measure rate of force development and bottom force and things that have a direct transfer to being powerful, uh, like a form collar, then you can use power lifts to be more explosive and you can use that data to auto-regulate load and then no longer does progressing load for a high-level athlete like this who still needs to be powerful over and over again, replication of speed, not muscular endurance. So it's replication of creating maximal power. Uh, then you can start to build programs that cater to that using power lifts, which are super effective at doing that, assuming you're executing them correctly. And then conditioning workouts to help you replicate that speed. Mm-hmm. So not only uh, under the bar, but also kind of put your conditioning in a position where you're able to replicate your maximal velocity. So whatever that's in the ring or whether it's kind of in training, that form color allows you that opportunity. So uh, I guess going back to my guy, don't worry. Who was this the accommodation one? And he's talking about combat sports, right? Right, right. Don't worry about it if you're a combat sport guy, but the, it is a real thing at the, the world-class level strength sports and weightlifting sports. John, is that a fair sum- summary? Yes. All right. Well, I'm good. I'm sweaty. It's fucking hot in here. Yeah. It's hot up in this bitch. So, yes, I guess sir. any anything, any other closing messages? Uh, Cross football seminar, summer tour, Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. What Balboa? else? Balboa. Oh, we're going to be in SoCal. We're going to be in... Madrid. Well, you guys are going to Madrid this weekend, but uh, who's my... I'm going to... Where is it? Amsterdam. We're going to be in Amsterdam. We're going to be in... Well, October. you're not really in Amsterdam. You're kind of outside of Amsterdam. You're in Rurik. Well, Rome. We got Rome. Right? Yeah, but I mean, it's closer to Amsterdam than I am now. Is it not? It's true. That's true. You are closer to Amsterdam, so you guys are going to have to head over to a little Barney's Uptown. Have mm-hmm. one for me. Uh, definitely. Um, We're going to be in Italy, Rome. We are? Yeah. I'm glad well, Texas. Oh, yeah. Texas going on a, a European tour. <laughs> All so. right. Yeah. And then after that's uh, Oktoberfest. And then uh, I'm trying to finish up. Uh, Do we have a wedding that weekend? I have weddings every weekend, bro. 
Uh, this is what you get for being too friendly with people. And then, uh, what else? Oh, dude, and then we got a Celebrity Smackdown going down. I'm going to finish Ooh. that up tonight. So word on the street is Power Athlete HQ is hosting a Celebrity Smackdown for the CrossFit Games. And these celebrities are going to be performing last year's CrossFit Games workouts. There's a grindstone team and a field strong team. And it's going to be all action stars, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be the analyst that tells you how this whole thing plays out. And there will be a final showdown the week before the games. Wow. And if somebody can guess it, there might, there, might, there might be some swag in it. So the movie stars, so the characters are competing, but here are the movie stars that are in it. Tom Hardy, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, shocker, Vin Diesel, uh, Will Smith, Jamie Foxx. This is what you guys work on when I'm – not yeah. paying attention. I've been even, this is why I've taken 20 days off, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to watch these movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Research. Uh, Stallone. Stallone Schwartz. and Schwarzenegger. Those are the eight. What about, and then what, the, what about Will Smith? The MC. No, Will Smith. Didn't I say that? Yeah. Uh, the MC of this whole thing, the head judge of the Power Athlete Celebrity Smackdown is Nicolas Cage. Ooh. So I'll be working hand-in-hand hand with Nicolas Cage to ensure that the integrity of the Smackdown is upheld. Wow. So it's going to be a fucking good one. Wow. Anyways, all right, I'm done. Let's shut it down. Yeah. All right, see you guys. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. If you want your question answered on the next crew episode of Power Athlete Radio, you can reach John on his personal cell phone at just kidding. It's way easier than that. Just follow us on Instagram at Power Athlete HQ. Look for the next post indicating a Q&A episode and hit us up with your question. Until next time, bye.